Hello and welcome to the July 12th, 2018 meeting of the uh, edition of the Science Fiction Club meeting. I think that's a better way to say it. And so we have a good showing today and we're going to go around and talk about books we've brought to talk about this month. And whoever gets to win first, I guess we'll start. So we'll see how it uh, how the button pushing goes. Who comes up first? Okay. Okay, I'll start. Um, my book is one that I was going to review last month, but I wasn't here. I was dealing with health stuff, minor health, but it was still a bit of a nuisance. Um, I read a book that's for kids, probably around grades 6 through 9, junior high school age. It's called Alien Secrets, and it's by Annette Curtis Klaus, K-L-A-U-S-E. It's a German spelling for the last name. And it is about a girl who has been thrown out of her British boarding school, and apparently she's been a troublemaker, and her grades haven't been too good, and etc. So uh, she's put on a starship, traveling from Earth to a planet where her scientist parents are living. And this is a planet which has been formerly conquered by a bunch of hostile aliens. And the aliens have been kicked off the planet one way or another. And the natives are definitely not hostile, but they are trying to recover their culture and everything. And on the starship that the girl is on, traveling to this planet, there is an alien who has, um, for some reason, left that planet and is going home. And he's got a statue that is quite sacred to his people. But the statue gets stolen. And it turns out, I'm not going to say too much more, but the girl and this alien have to get together and try to find out where the statue is. And it turns out that there are disguised hostile aliens on the ship. There are also what appear to be ghosts, but they are what I guess you'd call the Koch's, I can't remember what the name of a Star Trek Vulcan um, name of, of souls or essences of, of people. But that's kind of what there is on the ship, are these aliens who are supposedly dead, but they're trying to get back to their planet where they can be uh, settled into their afterlife culture or whatever. And uh, so people on the ship are experiencing all sorts of problems with these aliens who are ghosts, I guess you would call, who have been... Um, treated as slaves and killed in the process and they're upset and they're trying to get home. So it's an interesting book and I don't usually read mysteries like that but it is an interesting combination of a science fiction and a mystery book. So that's Alien Secrets by Annette Curtis Klaus and I found it really, uh, really good. And that's my book. Okay. Unless if somebody wants to discuss that one, come back and do it because I 
want to tell you about mine this time, which is Tau 4. That's spelled T-A-U and then the digit 4. And it is by Victoria Wax, spelled W-A-K-S. This is another book that I scanned for Bookshare. And it was a difficult scan, too, because uh, so there was something about the font that just didn't want the scan right, so I had to um, work really hard to get it done. But um, the premise is that there is an interstellar war going on, and the action opens up on a backwater-type planet where some secret experiments are going on to create the perfect weapon to use in this interstellar war, which is a uh, which is a experiment in genetic engineering. They are creating a new kind of human being. And by the way, I really don't see how this is such a tremendous weapon, considering that they're flying around zapping spaceships all the time with their. Um, In any case, they have genetically engineered a being on this planet that is kind of a cat-like creature, a very vicious cat-like creature that could slice and dice a lion in seconds flat, and they have combined its DNA with human DNA and have created a an apparently human female. Um, except, well, the story opens which where she has just finished killing uh, one of her fellow genetically engineered beings and now she's the only one left. And here's the fantastic thing. Uh, I don't think genetic engineering could do this, but at will she can transform herself into a cat-like being. That means she's something of a were-cat. And if you are on her bad side, you're dead meat. You are shredded dead meat. There is very little left of you after she finishes with you. Um, but for that reason, she has to be kept caged all the time. And she has very rarely gotten outside. But the planet is kind of a jungle planet. And um, she has gotten out to climb trees now and then. But mostly she's remained confined. And she's very unhappy about this. It so happens that there are secret agents around. From the interstellar enemy who are called the Outworlders. Who are out to rescue her to rescue her and take her over for themselves but at the same time there's good guys out to rescue her too and in fact she ends up getting rescued on a spaceship that is inhabited by the outworlders and the good guys and I'm going to tell you this this has got to have been influenced by Star Wars when it describes her rescue I can just see a Star Wars I've seen there is this gigantic spaceship hovering outside the complex um, 
where she has been kept and where the experiments were going on and fighting is going on both on the ground and above too and I can't help but picture something out of Star Wars but finally she is hustled onto the ship which takes off and of course people have to give chase and there's a space battle but then the spaceship ends up heading toward another world called the world of storms because it is so difficult for anybody to land there um, because it is constantly having storms but once they do land it seems like another world out of um, Star Wars in that for a place that it's so hard to land on there sure are a lot of alien races running around um, in any case a few things bothered me such as once she's on this new world here you here you have this woman who can just tear apart any person who she takes a disliking to just completely tear them apart and stand up to almost any weapon and then she runs into some kind of a lizard like creature on this planet and it scares the bejeebers out of her why is she scared of anything but anyway the guy who ran the laboratory back where she was created ends up following her to the other world and setting up some kind of a complex there too and they get involved with these forest people who remind me of Star Wars type Ewoks and so on the whole thing doesn't ha really have much verisimilitude in my book but it I could just see it as a Star Wars type movie I mean it it seems that everything is arranged just for Star Wars type effects and I don't know maybe Victoria Wax had in mind that somebody would make a movie out of it sometime but I doubt that that is the case but try it out if you think it sounds good. That sounds very interesting. Is it? It, 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 it is a good quality for you know reading on Bookshare. Uh, you, you say you scanned it, so you put it up on Bookshare. I would assume, right? It took a very long time to scan because um, I think it had something to do with the font. It was published by an independent publisher called Author House, and I don't know if they regularly use this kind of font in their books, but it kind of scares me away from scanning any more of their books. Each page was completely full of scanning errors, and I had to go through it very carefully, correcting, and it took a very long time for me to finish this, but now it is on the Bookshare site, and it is rated as excellent and I tell you, it was really hard to get it in excellent condition. That sounds like a very interesting book. Well, I guess I'll go next. Um, I read a book, which I, th I think Mary read it before, called uh, Fuzzy Nation by John Scolzi, I think his name is. And um, it sounded interesting to me, so I decided to read it, and I really liked it. Um, I don't know if it's worth going into it again, if we've already, if she just, we discussed it before, but basically... It, it takes place on this planet, and uh, it's sort of a humorous book. The main character is a guy named Jack Holliday, who's a prospector, and he works for this company, 
this this multi-planet company that exploits planets, extracts minerals, and he has a dog who he has um, do the explosives, you know, trigger the explosives, and so he's, the book starts out when he's when he's um, attached explosive to a to a cliff to extract minerals, and he apparently overdoes it, and the whole cliff collapses, and that causes all kinds of problems with his supervisors, and then. He lives alone in the jungle of this planet, and they have some interesting savage fauna, uh, uh, fauna on the planet too, which will eat you if you're if you're not careful, sort of like um, raptors or something. And um, he finds these little little cute little cat-like creatures that come into his house, and at first he's not sure what they want, and how intelligent they are, but as, as the novel progresses. Uh, he becomes more aware that they seem to be very intelligent, and that he's had a romantic attachment to a biologist when they broke up, and he 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 uh, films some of the, what these animals are doing, and lets her know about it. And it turns out that they are actually intelligent, and they are able to speak, but they don't do that in the beginning. And then the whole question is whether, if it turns out that they that they are um, um, sapient creatures, then the planet would be off, off uh, limits for the extraction and exploitation, which is what eventually finds that it ends up that they they, they determine they, that they come. Jack brings them in, and they and and, and the the leader of the group speaks uh, because one of the um, bodyguards of the of, of the company there killed one of his children. And, and, and the book ends nicely. It ends up that the, it is determined that they are um, that they are sapient or you know intelligent, and the planet is taken off limit. And Jack becomes the defender uh, of the species. So I thought it was a very cute, very nice book. I'm not sure, but I think I heard you say that it was written by John Scalzi. Um, I I think designation was written by H. Beam Paper, wasn't it? Uh, this is an updated version of it. The, the one you're talking about, Roger, was written probably about 1960, but it was revised and rewritten fairly recently by John Scolsey. And no, I, I had, we had not read this for the club, but I think I had mentioned it in one of our emails many, many years ago, actually. Well, maybe about 2009 or so, and I'd always intended to read it again. The original one is on Bookshare, though, and I have it somewhere. <laughs> but I, I wanted to read the, the the original one that was written in 1960 or something, and I haven't done that yet. It's one of those projects I just haven't gotten to. I definitely agree about this story. It was cute. I really liked it. I don't like everything Scalzi does, but this was cute. Hello, everybody. Anne here. Um, if that's you, David, you're very, uh, low, at least in this neck of the woods, your, your volume is very low. Anyway, um, my book is Empire from the Ashes by David Weber. Now, most of you know David Weber is the Honor Harrington guy, and he's written all these Honor Harrington books. And I won't go into all of them, because everybody knows about Honor Harrington, or if you don't, you should. Um, but this 
is a standalone omnibus. It's three books, so it's long. But what you could do is start with the first book and read that and then put it aside and then read the second book and put it aside and read the third book if you want to do that. But I don't think you'll want to because um, it's quite an exciting story. Imagine what would happen if you were a test pilot for the Air Force and uh, you were up about, oh, let's see, uh, 10 or 15 miles up, you know, in one of these space airplanes, you know, whatever, what do you call those things? Anyway, and all of a sudden you see in front of you this enormous uh, planetoid that is uh, unknown to Earth and you're almost set to run into it and um, you get swallowed up by the um, by the, the the planetoid and turns out that it's called Dayhawk. And I won't tell you a whole lot about Dayhawk except that the planetoid is a ship, a very large, large, large ship. And it has been waiting for something like 50,000 years for uh, someone to come and discover it again, wake it up, uh, as, as it were. And um, it is the story of how uh, the main character, whose name escapes me at the moment, uh, wakes up Dayhawk and what he learns to do and how he learns to do it. And then he discovers that all along, all through these 50,000 years, there have been these sleepers that have been on Earth. And they are a secret organization that has been working for Dayhawk and its... Uh, its uh, civilization or whatever. And uh, it goes on from there and it's quite an interesting book. It really, really is. Because the first book is all about the discovery of Dayhawk and, and the main characters joining the joining the crew and this and that. And uh, the second book is all about how uh, he wakes up uh, Earth and restores the Empire. And the third book is all about his son and daughter who end up being uh, marooned on this far planet and how they manage to get back and all this stuff. So I highly recommend it. Number one, if you like David Weber, I highly recommend it. Number two, if you like space opera at its very best, then you'll like this. Um, it's not profound. It's not like uh, Powell Anderson or, you know, um, 
somebody like that that makes you think about stuff. Nah, this is just a very, very, very good yarn. So uh, that's my book. Well, I'm going to bump in here because I actually read the same book and did. Uh, and so I can't say very much more. As far as the books by H. Beam Piper goes, there's also a sec sequel to Fuzzy Nation. I think the original title was Little Fuzzy called The Other Human Race, which continues on after Little Fuzzy ends. So, Anne, how did you, I assume this, I'm hoping this book is on Bard, and how did you come across it? What caused you to read it? Well, uh, yes, it's on Bard, and, well, I was looking for more Honor Harrington books. Well, this wasn't Honor Harrington, but I figured, well, what the heck, I'll try this out. I like David Weber anyway, and uh, I was I was very, very uh, pleasantly surprised. It really was a great book. Um, and I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Marshall, I didn't mean to steal your thunder. So talk about it if you want, because um, your perspective is probably newer than mine. I haven't read it in a while. And I was planning on rereading it at some point in the near future. And I just hadn't gotten there. So, um, you know, by all means, talk about it. No, I don't have anything more to say. But I think I will go look for the little fuzzy books. They will, They sound appealing to me. They're on Bookshare. I don't know if the sequel is there, but the little fuzzy book definitely is. Thanks. Well, is it Evan's turn now, or is there anyone, anyone else who hasn't given a report? Uh, do I sound any better now? Yeah, you're a little higher now. Yeah, you're fine. I won't say too much. I tried to post something this morning to the SF list. I'm not sure it came through. The book was Alistair Reynolds' Pushing Ice. <coughs> there are two versions of it. One is a DB60-something. The other one just came on board. It's DB90-something. The DB60,000-something is read and read well by Aaron Jones. The new one is a commercial book. It's read by John Lee. and I, did, I, I jumped between both of them. I'd read a few chapters in one and a few chapters in the other. It is really amazing what a narrator can do because Erin Jones does it much better because it's the women play a key role in this book and she does them well uh, John Lee oh, to me was too dramatic <clears throat> the book is basically set in 2057 well it starts in 2057 the um, ship called Rockhopper is the ice mine and they're out by Saturn one of its moons Janus has just in, has just like turned itself, um, I think it is like, maybe the ice has melted off and it's jumped out of orbit and they're ordered to follow it, but they get caught up in its slipstream and they are pulled across, um, across space to, I think it's to the, um, I'm trying to think now, which, um, constellation they end up by, but anyway, they get attracted to this interstellar object that Janus is bringing them to. This book got a little bit confusing to me. They've been traveling so fast, they don't realize they are millions of years into the future. They meet alien races, and 
the book, I'm not sure if this book is set in his glitter band universe, I doubt it, and it's just sort of how the people interact in this new society, and I wonder if there will be a sequel. I found it rather strange, and I did not have the easiest time following it. It it was with all the with the time jumps, but it was definitely rather interesting. Both versions take about 19 hours and not quite 40 minutes. One is eight minutes shorter than the other, which is amazing because usually when a narrator rereads a book or a different person reads it, the length varies considerably. But these run give or take the same length by about eight minutes. So. This, these were really interesting. I do, I do hope the thing I posted went to the list. If not, I'll have to try to resend it. Yeah, I did get to the list, and probably the difference in length might be because uh, Aaron Jones's version had more NLS information, such as the book jacket information, and usually a commercial book leaves out the book jacket, which is really sad. They should put that in there. Yeah, I miss that about the commercial audio books. And I miss a table of contents, too. I mean, especially in the nonfiction books. I really, I really want to hear what the table of contents says, so I'm reduced to skipping through the headers to see what's, what's in the nonfiction commercial audio books that I have. If I want to know what's, you know, what the chapters are called or anything, I'm, I got to do that. No table of contents either. But it's, you're, you're right. That might account for the difference, but over 19 hours, a slight difference in speech rate could add up to eight minutes or more. I'm surprised. Actually, I'm kind of surprised it's that close between the two. If you read on uh, Voice Dream Reader, um, if you change the speech rate, it'll recalculate the reading time, and you can see how just the 10 words per minute difference can make a real pretty significant difference in how much time you have left to read, uh, assuming you stay at that same speech rate. Um, I read Pushing Ice. It's not in the Glitter Band universe. It's in its own universe, I think. Um, at least, as far as I know, there's nothing else in that universe that he's published since then. I didn't remember it that well, and I've read some other Alistair Reynolds books, and I I don't know. He's got a, He talks about the far future, and he talks about, you know... You know, they're on a large scale and stuff, but there's something, I don't know, he just doesn't have it, whatever it is, that like somebody like Peter Hamilton has, and Ian Banks had it, even though he was a little too fond of gore for my taste, but, um, but I, there's just something about his books that, you know, somebody like Hamilton, he just gets me, he's got a sense of wonder that... I mean, I know the habitat in Pushing Ice is, you know, huge. It's like the size of a solar system or something. And, you know, the, you're, what is it, Triton? Or one of the moons of Neptune is turns out to be the alien spacecraft. Janus, I think it is. Yeah, I mean, that sounds good, but I don't know. He just doesn't evoke something that some of the other authors that I like really do, even though he talks about the same kinds of things. It's a little odd, you know, how different writers, you know, with the same subject can make it really come alive and other authors are... I mean, he's not bad. I mean, I don't I don't think any of his books were terrible that I read, but none of them were really great, like, you know, like Hamilton's Void Trilogy or some of the others, like Greg Bear, you know, who could write really far future stuff, too. Still can, I guess. I don't know. I haven't seen much of by him lately. But anyway, he's just another example. There are others... Um, but, but Reynolds just doesn't have it. So, I have a book. I can't, I can't, 
I've been waiting till last because I've been can't decide what book I want to read because I'm partway through one that I'd kind of like to talk about. So I can, uh, but uh, there are others that I finished uh, some time ago. Well, even years ago in some cases that that I wouldn't mind talking about. So I'm going to talk about Lord of Light by Roger Zelazny because I really like that book. It's fun. Well, it's not really intended to be fun in a light-hearted sense, but Zelazny always put his humor into books. And this one takes place in an unknown far future. Earth isn't even mentioned that I can recall. And it's about this planet where there are these aliens who are kind of like energy beings, but the human inhabitants have these psychical gifts, um... They can, you know, make people see things, or they can direct, you know, electrical energy, or they can, you know, and uh, they um, have technology that can aid them in doing these things, Uh, you know, telekinesis and stuff like that. And so what they've done is they've taken over the world and kind of domesticated the, you know, the inhabitants. They've put them, you know, in, uh, you know, kind of like bondage. They, they, they're in this field. They can't get out. And they've kind of, the, the, the people with the psychical gifts kind of dominate the rest of the planet. And they've taken on the personas of Hindu gods. And so you've got Yama, the Lord of Death, and you've got... Uh, Agni, the Lord of Fire, who, you know, wields lasers and stuff like that, and so, but there's one man who opposes them, though he manages to get some other people to come over to his side eventually, and he takes on the persona, the persona of the Buddha, and uh, Zelazny did apparently some research into Buddhism, because he actually quotes one of the Buddha's discourses, a famous one called the Fire Sermon, um, but, um, of course, the Buddha did not use violence, but uh, Sam, his actual name, um, this is one of those jokes that Zelazny puts in. His, his, his full name is Maha Samatman, um, but they call him Sam for short. But he takes on the persona of the Buddha, and he opposes these Hindu gods because they're just tyrannizing the population. And, you know, they live in a real primitive environment. You know, it's like real medieval with horses and animal, you know, and uh, agriculture and no industry really and stuff like that. And so basically he takes on the, and of course there is reincarnation also because, you know, this, um, when you die, your, you know, like your psychical, your, your brain information goes into, you know, these machines and they can restore you to another body. So there are some people who play tricks and, you know, put people in the wrong body, you know, somebody got put in the wrong body. and um, But anyway, that's kind of the gist of the story. And there's battles and there's, you know, I, I, I shouldn't spoil it, so I won't tell you who wins, but it's probably pretty easy to guess. Um, and so what happened is he, he had a battle with the, the Hindu gods, but he lost. And he got, he got sent into the... Um, magnetic field around the planet and one of his partners though who came over to his side one of the one of the former hindu gods called yama the god of death he's an expert he's a scientist and he manages to get the buddha back sam and 
to, and so they renew the battle after Sam gets reincarnated into a body again. And then there's the final battle. So what the book does is kind of, it kind of jumps, it, it starts out in uh, when Sam is re, reincarnated, and then it goes back to tell the story of how he got, you know, disincorporated in the first place when he lost the battle uh, the first time, and then how he, uh, well, I'll just tell you how he wins it the second time, and what happens to some of the Hindu gods, you know, the people that were, you know, and he actually talks to some of them. He knew these people. He was with them, you know, when they were on the starship, because they, they don't talk that much about when they landed or how long ago it was, because these people are, you know, obviously they're effectively immortal. You know, the gods are, the mo you know, and of course... They use reincarnation as a way to keep people in line because, I mean, even the primitives can get reincarnated, but if they, you know, if they behave themselves, they get a good body, and if they don't, well, they get something, well, not so good. So it's a way of um, maintaining their control as well. So it's a, it's a good book. I really enjoyed it. Um, I was really elated when Bard put up, you know, the version they did instead of redoing it because... Uh, Patricia Redding Leclerc did the narration of it, and I thought she did a great job. And uh, so it was great to hear, you know, that original recording that I read back in the uh, in, on cassette all the way back in the seventies, uh, up on Bard. So anyway, that is my book, Lord of Light by Roger Zelazny, and it's up on Bard. As I said, I don't know if Bookshare has a copy or not, or what kind of shape it's in. I didn't look, but there you go. Now, as to the next meeting, I assume you guys still want to have a meeting. Mary's offered to record it and uh, send me the recording, and I will listen to it and write down, you know, the books that were mentioned and put them in the newswire as usual. Um, so, if that's all good, then we will have a, a you will have a meeting on August the 9th. I'll be traveling that day. I don't have a lot of flexibility in my schedule there, so I cannot. Uh, do the meeting there's no way I can do it so sounds like a plan I'm off I'm uh, I've got an early morning appointment so I've got to go good night guys okay uh, our next meeting will be then on August the 9th 2018 that's a Thursday as usual and uh, I will see you Belated, I will see you later in time. I'll listen to the, the, the meeting, and I hope we have a good turnout next month. So take care all, and I will be here in September.